0: Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me you abandon the commandments of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, "Listen to me and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. This is the word of the Lord." One of the persons who was doing a lot of writing about parenting when our three children were small was Dr. Haim Gannat. One of the books that Gail and I bought and read at that time said, When a child first approaches you with a statement or a question, the way you respond to that statement or question will have everything to do with whether the child gets around to saying or asking what they really had in mind in the first place. One afternoon I got home from work when I was still an associate at First Methodist Church in Houston. Our three children were small. I remember, you know, hugs, hugs, how's everybody doing? And suddenly our daughter, who was about six, said, I'm never growing up. Okay, first reaction is, if you eat your vegetables and drink your milk, you will grow up. But I remembered what Dr. Gannad had written, and so I asked, if you were grown up today, what would you do? And she said, I'd go to Astroworld, the nearest Houston head to Disney World. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what, after we have dinner, let's get the calendar with Mom and pick a Saturday when we could all go to Astroworld. When I read this text some months ago, just enough to write a title, it made me think of that because these scribes and Pharisees who've come from the temple in Jerusalem have walked 75 miles and they accuse his disciples, Jesus' disciples, of not washing their hands when what they are really wanting to say is, Who do you think you are? You have no training You have no certification. Who told you you could be a teacher in Israel? Let's take a look at this passage. This passage is really not about washing hands. It's about washing and rinsing and washing and rinsing and washing and rinsing. The word translated defiled is koinias, k o i n i a. When I got to graduate school at SMU in Dallas, I registered for my first fall courses. I went straight to the bookstore at SMU, and someone quickly was trying to help me, and I said, I need a textbook for this and a textbook for that. And then I said, I'm going to take Greek. I need a Greek textbook. And the person asked, classical or koine? I looked like a deer in the headlights. I didn't know. And she asked, are you studying Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, and the great Greek dramatist? Or are you in the school of theology? I said, I'm in the school of theology. And she said, then you want Koine Greek. You know what Koine means? Common. It means common. Common. The 27 scrolls in the New Testament were not written in the classical language of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, but in the language of people in the street. In the street. When Constantine decided to be a Christian and declared that all the Roman Empire was Christian, 300 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he dispatched his mother to the Holy Land to find all the most significant places in Jesus' life and build churches over them. When she got to Bethlehem, someone pointed out Jesus was born in that cave right there underneath the inn. So she had a church built there, but she also brought a Latin scholar and put him in a room, a basement down under the church and said, Don't come out till you get all the scriptures translated into Latin. Old and new, from Hebrew and Greek into Latin. And that translation by St. Jerome became known as the Vulgate from our word vulgar, or our word comes from it, which often in our language takes on sexual connotations, but didn't at all in Latin. It just meant common. Constantine's mother said to St. Jerome, I want you to translate the Bible into the language of the people in the streets of Rome. So Jesus is being accused as disciples are acting like commoners. Commoners, what does that mean? Well, after the ten northern tribes of Israel were assimilated into the Assyrian culture so that they ceased to exist as a separate people, there had been groups within Judaism that said, we must identify ourselves by ways we differ from all other peoples. We must be different decidedly different. Jesus went flying into the face of much they had decided. I mean, Mark has already told us by the time we get to chapter 7 that Jesus went down into pig country, meaning Gentiles, and chased demons out of a man there in Gerizim. We are told that he walked in and touched a dead child, which made him ceremonially, ritually unclean. That he allowed a woman with a flow of blood to touch him, which made him ritually unclean. That in fact, he ate with tax collectors and sinners. Dr. Brandon Scott said, this message is very clear. Jesus is saying the temple in Jerusalem is no longer making the rules. We're not going to make the circle smaller and smaller. We're going to make the circle bigger and bigger. We're going to make it bigger. And what God has said is clean, you must not call unclean. Take a good look. 500 years ago this year, Martin Luther was a monk in Erfurt, Germany. He was very unhappy about some of the things he saw happening in the Roman Catholic Church, his church, and he decided to walk from Erfurt, Germany to Rome to declare what he felt ought to be changed. One of those things was simply this. He was convinced that in the Bible, Jesus said, everybody should eat the bread and drink the wine. Not just lay people having bread and the priests having bread and wine. Everybody has both. That didn't get done for more than 450 years. Martin Luther said, Germans ought to hear the Mass every day in German. French people ought to hear the Mass every day in French. That didn't happen for over 450 years. Martin Luther resolved to walk from Erfurt, Germany to Rome to make known his unhappiness. It's a thousand miles. He resolved to do it in 40 days. He walked in shoes not nearly so good as the ones you and I get to wear today, a thousand miles in 40 days, 25 miles a day. He got there and stated his unhappiness. He was ignored. He went back to Germany. It would be seven more years. And now he was in a little place called Wittenberg when he decided to go and nail 95 theses on the door of the church that he felt needed to be debated. But it wasn't the village church. I I had always felt that it was the village church. It wasn't. It was at the palace of the German prince. It was on the chapel door of the palace of the German prince where he nailed the 95 theses And out of that would come the sola fide sola gratia. God does not love us more because we are miserable. Because somebody has wakened us at 3 a.m. to go kneel on a cold stone floor and pray for an hour. God doesn't love us more because we are miserable. We are saved only by the grace of God Only by our trusting, our having faith that God's grace is given to us without reservation, without condition. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Number two, Jesus said, I know you. I know you. Isaiah said something about you 800 years ago. You're hypocrites. Now this word, hippocrosis, comes to us straight from Greek, and it literally means in Greek, to play a role, to be an actor. Jesus said, you're only acting at faith. You're not living faith. You're acting. Daniel Oxt wrote a column recently in the Wall Street Journal of All Places called What a Shame, Guilt Got Such a Bad Name. He began his article by saying that the Chinese have just decreed that policemen can no longer shame people in public. I've only been to China once. I remember when we were in a van, eight of us, being driven through the streets of Beijing. There were Thousands and thousands of bicycles then, not nearly so many automobiles. And police officers were trying to maintain this flow of traffic of all these bicycles and automobiles. And I saw a police officer from the van window stop a car, walk around to the window, and slap the man who was driving across the face. The Chinese government just said a week ago they can't do that anymore. Can't just slap people because they've done something wrong. Can't shame them in public. Now, we in America used to do that. If you've been to Jamestown, to Williamsburg, you've seen the old stocks where people had to sit with their arms and legs locked down so that everybody in the community could see. If you've ever been into one of those museums where they talk about punishment, they had special metal hoops they put around some women's necks so that the whole community knew she's a gossiper. She couldn't get out of her house with it. Everybody's seeing that old horrible collar knowing she's a gossiper. Be careful. Shaming, shaming. And Daniel Ox says doing away with shame was a good thing. But we also did away with guilt. And that was a bad thing. Shame means there's something inherently wrong with you. But guilt means you've done something wrong. And if you looked at this quotation from Isaiah, you heard me read with you that people is treated as a singular noun. The verb is honors, singular. And that means all of them. All of them, not individually, but the whole of us do a certain amount of acting, playing a role. Not really loving with all of our heart that which we're asked to love. Not honoring with all of our lives the one we're asked to honor. There are Christian churches who quit having prayers of confession because they don't like them. We went through a period in psychology. I'm okay and you're okay and everybody's okay. Only problem is we're not okay. We're not okay. Every family has its troubles. Every town and village has its troubles, every state has its troubles, every nation has its troubles, because we're not doing all the right things. We're doing some wrong things, and we ought to feel guilt about that and want a better way of doing that's made possible by that gift of God's grace. Number three, they do not keep the commandment of God. Notice here, it's a singular, commandment. Dr. Robert Gullick, who's one of my favorite scholars and his commentary on Mark, says when it mentions one commandment, he's pretty sure that Jesus is referring to that same commandment he gave when he was asked, which is the greatest commandment of them all? By the time Jesus lived, the Ten Commandments had been expanded to more than 400, which is the greatest of them all. And he said the Shema comes out of the scroll of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Eiei, Asher Eiei, your Elohim is one. You must worship this one with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. Oh, by the way, the second is sort of like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. They are not keeping the commandment. Brett McCracken wrote recently in the Wall Street Journal about marketing in the evangelical parts of Christianity. Have you ever gotten caught up with some of those folks in the malls here in Tulsa? I did one Saturday several years ago. This person asked me, you go to church? I said, yeah, pretty pretty faithfully. <clears throat> Would you like to drink coffee in your church sanctuary? I said, no, don't do that. Oh, it's a shame. Uh, you like to eat in your sanctuary? No, no, we don't eat in our sanctuary. Went down the list, and the majority of people were saying, yeah, they'd like to have a cup of coffee in the sanctuary. Yeah, they'd like to eat in their sanctuary. You don't wear a coat and tie? I want to shine your shoes. I want to wear flip-flops and shorts and cutoffs and t-shirts. Hey, come to our place, they were saying. Come to our place. Brett McCracken in his article was saying, this group of people were so afraid they were going to lose the younger generation. And he said, so they sent their preacher to a barbershop for a $100 haircut and got rid of robes and all the stoles put them in fluffy sweaters and dockers. But the danger, he said, is that they're losing God. That they're losing God, which is even more important than losing the next generation. How do we keep the commandment? How do we honor this God who is one And who requires all of our hearts and mind and soul and strength? He tells us what's no longer important, but He also teaches us what is ultimately and vitally important. Number four. This lecture today ends by Jesus saying, All of you, listen. Hear me. There is nothing that can go into your mouth that will make you common it's what comes spewing out that makes you common and again Dr. Robert Grulick and Dr. Edward Schweitzer both say Jesus in this statement has once again put a stamp of approval on God's creation that everything God made was good. As Peter would be told in the book of Acts, Peter, don't call unclean what I've called clean. There is nothing God made that is not good, that is not beautiful, that is not wonderful. And so you should treat God's creation, all of it, all of it, as very, very, Special. Dr. Fred Craddock writes again about growing up on a poor farm in the Great Depression. They just made less and less, had less and less, had to sell off their animals. He said we couldn't afford to fix our fences. So I'd come home from school when I was a boy, and my mother first thing would say to me, you got to go find that little red mule. you got to go find that little red mule. And he said, I knew pretty well where he was. He always went in the same direction. He went down the hill and over another one and into that old cemetery. That old cemetery was over 200 years old. Some of the graves had finally caved in and been refilled. And one little marker leaned one way and one another. Graves dating back 1785, 1791. When it was in the fall and the winter, by the time I got home from school, it'd be nearly dark. I was just a kid. My mom would say, go find that little red mule. I knew where he was. And I'd say, Mom, I don't like to walk through that cemetery. Because she had told me, don't step on graves, don't step on graves. And I'd say, I can't tell. And she'd say, graves are sacred, graves are sacred. And I would say, I can't always tell what's a grave and what's not a grave. Go get the little red mule, she said. And when I said again, I can't always tell. My mama said, I've discovered the best way is to treat all of it as if it's sacred. That's what she said. Treat all of it as if it's sacred. That's just who she was.